Welcome to Retire Smarter with Kevin Krosky. Find answers to your toughest questions and get educated about the financial world. It's time to retire smarter. Another great podcast coming at you today on Retire Smarter. And I mean it. It's going to be a good one today. Walter Sorholt here alongside Kevin Krosky, President and Wealth Advisor at True Wealth Design, serving you in Northeast Ohio with offices in Akron and Canfield. Find us online at truewealthdesign.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app. Uh, If you want to get in touch with the team, we'll tell you some ways that you can do that a little bit later on in today's show, or just check the description of today's show notes for that info as well. Kevin, you ready for another great show today? Let's do it, Walter. Let's dive in. We've got a lot to get to today, and I think this subject, if anybody saw the headline about investing internationally and some of the reasons to do so, in fact, three specific reasons why you might want to do that, is an interesting topic because this is something that I've always kind of wondered, Kevin. I feel like okay, um, I I kind of know about U.S. businesses. I feel like I have a good grasp or handle on what's happening in the U.S. economy, but my mind would start to spin if I start thinking about investing internationally. Yet, I feel like I'm only exposing myself to a very small piece of the pie if I focus domestically. But that's also what I know. And I've also kind of heard the the terms or the guidance to focus on what you know when you invest, right? Don't get into the spaces where you have no idea what you're doing. So I kind of have this conflict of there's a big opportunity out there to invest worldwide and internationally, but at the same time, trying to stick to that principle and invest in what you know. So I'm interested to hear your guidance today on this topic because it, it kind of hits close to home. And will you be opening my eyes to some possibilities here? Well, Walter, I tell you what, I appreciate you sharing what you just shared. And if you hearken back to uh, how we started our podcast together, uh, and I did the Retirement Rules Gone Awry series, the saying that, you know, invest in what you know, well, that you certainly want to understand your investments, but these sayings or these rules will often kind of lead you astray or maybe not tell the whole story. So I think maybe we'll kind of go down that path today as well. And, And I should note that what I'm referencing, there was an article the Vanguard I came across uh, a couple weeks ago, and uh, I kind of elaborated on this and put my own spin to it. and And they did have, you know, th- really three reasons why to invest internationally was the, the topic of their article. And I really think two are pretty much different ways to say the same thing. So we'll see how our title ends up when I actually uh, <laughs> when I actually launch this. But uh, if somebody looks at the title and said, "Hey, you forgot number three, well, well, that's why. So let's dive in, if you will. But Walter, as you kind of intimated, you know, the world's a big place, right? And when you look at kind of U.S. investing and outside of the U.S., the U.S. today comprises about 55% of the total investable universe in terms of, you know, publicly traded stocks. And so, you know, that's a pretty big portion, you know, 55% back, you know, a decade ago, it was a little less than half. So depending on how good the U.S. is doing relative to international markets, you'll see this, you know, 55% kind of ebb and flow. And certainly if you went back decades, the U.S. would have been a bigger portion. But where we are here now today in 2019, it's about 55%. And then when you go outside of the U.S., obviously you have 100% total. So 100 minus 55% is 45%. And you can further divide that 45% between developed and developing or also called emerging markets. And emerging markets today are roughly about, you know, 10% of the total. So just to kind of look at it overall, you have 55% in the US, you have 10% in emerging markets, places like China, India, Brazil, 
And then you have the balance or 35% in international developed outside of the US. So our friends to the north in Canada, European Union countries, Japan, Australia. So those are the biggies right there. And so that's what the market is. And when you look at today, you know, in large part, we are in a global financial world. So you have companies like Toyota or Samsung that may be headquartered outside of the U.S., but a big portion of their business is still inside the U.S., or you have some U.S.-based companies that you know sell around the world, McDonald's, Google, what have you. And so you have some of these companies that, you know, they're worldwide, but Nonetheless, you also have some of these smaller companies within each of these countries that are more exposed to the domestic economy. So, so while you're kind of looking at the world, so to say, and you are thinking about this rule or this saying that you reference, Walter, about, hey, invest in what you know, there's a big part of the world that's out there that you, know, that you may be avoiding. And we'll talk about some of the reasons why you may not necessarily want to do that. Well, I know I'm going to have to go back and listen to one of those first episodes that we did about those retirement rules gone awry. I'm, I'm glad I could trip up there and you and you catch me and be like, hey, go back and listen to that episode. Remember, not all sayings are worth following. So I've just got to say as a side note, I'm kind of blown away, even though I, you said it used to be bigger in the past. I'm kind of blown away by the 55% of the world market essentially is the United States. It just still seems like such a big chunk. It's hard to wrap your mind around that. Yeah, it's a big chunk, but it's also, you know, it's <laughs> we have definitely been kind of the bastion of capitalism, or at least the most pure form of capitalism uh, that's been around for some time. So, yeah, so that's where we're at. I mean, if you look at it different ways in terms of like GDP, I mean, it would be different. I mean, China becomes much more prevalent in a, in a kind of a measurement like that. But if we're just looking in terms of investable universe, publicly traded equities, and that's how it shakes out. So, the thing that you mentioned about kind of investing in what you know, there's these things uh, in basically it's just how our brain works, but our brains applied to investing, they're called different investing biases. And so what you just paraphrased was, hey, invest in what you know or what people would call what smart academics that study the brain and brain science and behavior, they would call that the familiarity bias. So things that you know tend to be more comfortable, less fearful. And so that's what I'm going to go ahead and invest in. It could be U.S. stocks. It could be, and that specifically has its own name called home country bias. People in the U.S. tend to have a higher portion of their portfolio in U.S. stocks. Canadians tend to have a higher portion of their portfolios in Canadian stocks. Australians, well, same thing. And you can kind of go around the world and, and you see that same phenomenon happening. I had a client meeting earlier today and he is a physician that works at now CVS. And he's like, hey, I got this employee stock discount program and I can go ahead and buy CVS stock for a discounted price. You know, should I do that? And, and I feel good about it for these reasons. And, you know, he's stating reasons and he's familiar with the company, right? He works there. And so, you know, he's just more familiar with it. So owning stock inside of your employer plan of the company you work for, you know, inside of your 401k plan and what have you. Again, there's tends to be a familiarity bias that you have there and also relates to being overconfident a lot of times. So these are things, it's just how our brain works. And so things that we need to be mindful about. So what, really what I want to do over the remaining part of the podcast is just kind of peel back the onion a little bit and really look more about the evidence and really what makes sense in terms of investing science and you know having international diversification or not. 
So the first part of that, and again, these were kind of referenced in this Vanguard paper, but kind of elaborate on a little bit, but call it diversification or risk reduction benefits. And the way that we often measure that, I've kind of called it this before on the podcast, but call it a kind of a wiggle factor. You know, how much variability do you have in your returns per year? Mathematically, we call that standard deviation. But it's really about, you know, how much your portfolio returns are going up and going down. Your values, your dollars are going up and going down. And what the Vanguard study has shown, and I've seen this, you know, and done in other studies over the years, and the result has been pretty consistent. But when you have about 40% of your money outside of the U.S., and again, these are all using kind of, you know, diversified indices. It's not like you're picking specific companies to go and invest in. It's just kind of investing in broad global indices is how these studies are constructed. But if you have 40% of your money outside of the U.S., when if you're 100% in stocks, it would be 60% in the U.S., then historically, the volatility or the wiggle factor would have been minimized. And you can actually break it down further, you know, if you have, if you're an all-stock investor or if you're, say, more of a balanced, like 60-40 stock and bond investor, then the percentage may be a little bit different and it's actually a little bit higher than 40% if you're that more balanced investor that I just mentioned. So, 40% may sound like a lot. And if for the people that are listening right now, it probably does sound like a lot, particularly, you know, if you're doing this on your own, you know, because of that home country bias, because of that familiarity bias, I can't really recount maybe more than one or two people over the years where I've looked at their portfolio when they came in and we first started working together, that they really had more than like 10 or 20% in international investments. So, you know, certainly the home country bias was quite strong in that case, but the science of investing would show that, hey, you know, I should probably have, you know, two to four times that 10 or 20% to really reduce the volatility, really reduce the risk. And and why would we want to do that? Well, if you have less volatility, you know, you have this smaller wiggle factor, ultimately you tend to have higher compounded returns over time. So the example that I always like to give here is, and Walter, I, I put you on the spot with this several episodes ago, and I'll set you up for success and do it again here, buddy, since you <laughs> did so well in the last one. But let's suppose that we start with $100 in year one and we lose half of our money, okay? And so we're $100. 50, I got it. Half of our, we're good. All right, I, I, you got I, it. 100, I'm You're done, right? That, I, I'm, I'm off the hook, <laughs> oh, we gotta keep going. <laughs> all right, so what percent return do we need just to get back to even in year two? We would need 100% return to get back. You got it. So you go from $100 down to 50 to get back to $100, you need 100% return in year two. And if you do that, your compounded return, which is kind of what we can eat, if you will, is zero because you just got back to square one. But if you look at your average return, you get a minus 50% return in year one, you get 100% return in year two, you add those two together, it is 50, you divide it by two years, and you get an average return of 25%. Well, you know, you got an average return of 25%. That may sound great, but you got $0 in terms of dollar growth. And that sort of volatility that we just kind of went through in that example that, Walter, you crushed it yet again on. Good job. <laughs> you know, that volatility matters. And so if you have a smaller standard deviation, if you have a smaller wiggle factor, then typically you're going to have more dollars over time. Certainly for the same average return, you're going to have more dollars. And where that particularly matters is when you're on the second half 
of the game and in retirement and pulling out money in terms of doing your portfolio distribution planning, doing your income planning and making sure your money lasts. If you have a lot of wild swings and you're pulling from that money and don't have safe money to pull from, then you know ultimately you could get very, very unlucky and that's not a good thing to have happen when you're in retirement. So the volatility reduction, again, higher compounded returns, all else being equal, and it certainly helps in terms of the distribution planning. And when if you back up for a minute and just think of kind of economics, I mean, you have you may have these big multinational companies that are around the world today. You know, they have production facilities in different parts of the world, but a lot of times those companies they hedge their currency risk. You know, Toyota wants to go ahead and uh, they don't have to worry about how the yen is moving to the dollar or to the euro. So a lot of times they'll just say, look, we're in the business of making and selling cars. We're going to hedge away this foreign currency risk that we can't control. So let's just go ahead and do that. And when you have a multinational company that is hedging their foreign currency risk, then you're kind of taking away some of the diversification benefits as if you would have otherwise you know, invested in that foreign currency. So, you know, the fact that you have different economic cycles, you have different fiscal and monetary policies, different currencies, you even have different sector weightings. You know, in the US, you have much, much more technology and healthcare. You go over into Europe and you have a lot more kind of old school industrials and what have you, then you don't have the big, you know, technology sector that we do here. Emerging markets, you have more of a technology sector. So, you know, all these markets are different. And so even though, you know, the world is increasingly becoming a smaller place and more integrated, you certainly can continue to pick up diversification benefits by investing in these different countries. Well, I know this is it's kind of a big concept, right? This you're talking about international markets versus domestic. I mean, we're not talking necessarily here about, you know, the most simple of investments or one particular tool. We're talking about an entire classes and angles and countries being involved here. So maybe it's hard to give this just like a simple story to sum it all up. But and I also know that we have to guard against that, you know, that term. Maybe this was in one of our past episodes we talked about this, that mentality of past performance can't predict, you know, future returns, that sort of idea. But can we look into the past to see where these different allocations for folks have maybe panned out in a positive way or also in a negative way if they weren't you know, kind of internationally spread out? Have there been past examples that have showed us the importance of investing internationally? Yeah, that's a great question, Walter. And I had a meeting recently. And so this was a, a client that we did uh, some planning for oh, probably six, seven years ago. And then they came back and, and kind of want to work together on an ongoing basis at this point. And one of the questions that we were talking about was, you know, how the money was going to be invested. And we we're kind of talking about it at a high level because we first need to update their planning. But but we talked, we we're having this similar conversation about international investing. And and the husband made a comment like, oh, that it's never really worked out well for me. And, and I asked him, well, you know, how come? And he just intimated like, well, you know, when I look at the 401ks, you know, the international markets had the lowest returns. And I said, well, you know, Paul, how long have you been investing in these markets? How long have you been investing in these 401k plans? And he said, well, you know, my wife and I, we met in the late 80s and I've kind of been handling the investing since we got together. And, you know, we've really been paying a lot of attention to it, you know, for the last 10 years or so since we got into our, our 50s and got serious about retirement. And I said, well, Paul, what happened Let's go back a little bit further than, let's say, the last 10 years. Certainly, the last 10 years have been phenomenal 
to be a U.S. investor and invest in U.S. markets, you know, kind of post global financial crisis. 2009, actually, international markets did a lot better than the U.S., but really since then, save for a year or two, the U.S. returns have been better than international returns. And so I said, Paul, you know, if you've only been paying attention for the last 10 years or so, I mean, if we go back, you know, say the prior decade, you know, what can you tell me about returns back then? He said, well, I mean, I just, I, we had kids, I was working a lot, I didn't have nearly as much money, and so I wasn't paying as much attention. I said, well, I mean, have you ever heard of the phrase, the lost decade? And when I explained, I said, you know, when you look at what happened in the 90s with the tech bubble kind of growing and growing and, you know, these technology stocks and growth stocks doing really well, and then really 9-11 was, was the catalyst to kind of accelerate the downturn after the markets had ballooned and really that bubble was bursting starting in 2000. If you were investing in U.S. markets in this S&P 500 for an entire decade, for 10 long years, you lost money over that entire 10-year period. And it was just quiet. And I said, well, you know, I mean, you owned that stuff. You probably owned just as much, if not more of it back then than what you do today. But you just weren't paying attention to it. And, and he kind of nodded his head. But, you know, and I've had a similar conversation with several people, but it's really kind of time dependent. And you'll look at different periods of time and you go back to that last decade. International markets were going gangbuster, you know, back then in large part. I honestly just international markets, but the currency kind of moved favorably. So when you brought money back over from overseas, you're getting more U.S. dollars. And so the kind of the currency was really a tailwind for U.S. investors. And so, you know, it happens. You don't know exactly when the U.S. or international markets are going to do better. Certainly there's forecasts that you can make a comment on one here in a moment about what Vanguard is saying. But nonetheless, I mean, particularly when you're approaching in, into retirement and you need to make sure that your money's going to last, you don't necessarily want to put it all just on one country. You know, you want to spread the risk a little bit, you know, whether it's 40% or 30 or 20, you know, something that's going to make a difference is probably what you're going to want to do and doing, you know, just a couple percent or 5% really isn't going to slice it. But you want to go ahead and you want to spread that risk. And there's going to be some periods of time where the U.S. is going to do better and some periods of time when the international markets are going to do better. So you want to probably have a target. What we do here, I mean, we have a target. 40% is our benchmark. But we have some latitude to circle as much as going down to as little as 20% international diversification or as much as 60%, which is really, you know, kind of we're a little bit more in alignment with the overall kind of a global view, if you will. And there's been periods of time where we've been substantially overweight the U.S. and times more so like today where we're the other way. And we're kind of favoring the less expensive asset classes that are out there, particularly in these international markets. So, you know, we talked about being dynamic on a prior podcast about your allocation. You always have to kind of understand history and you have to have some targets, but then you probably need to have some flexibility to go ahead and move to wherever the puck is likely to be over the coming five or 10 years. And when Vanguard went through a process like that recently, and again, in the same article that I referenced, I won't give the exact returns, but what they're saying is over the next 10 years, they expect international markets to return on average about 3% more than the U.S. And so if you have you know, 10 years at 3% per year, ignoring compounding, that means that international market investments per Vanguard's expectations are going to grow 30% more than the U.S. And I can tell you, we did a prior 
podcast on a similar topic and kind of relayed an article from Morningstar and Christine Benz. And she really did a survey of a lot of different money managers and their expectations. And they were all pretty uniform. And none of them are going to get the numbers exactly right in terms of whether it's, you know, 8.2 or 5.1%. But if you get the ranking right, if international markets are going to do better than the US and and you favor international markets, then your allocation or your investing recipe is going to end up more right than not. And so that's the thing that I think you have to think about, particularly where we're at today. U.S. market disproportionately has done you know, much, much better, you know, say over the prior 10 years or so, and it's gotten a lot more expensive. And so the basic tenet of investing is buy low and sell high. You also want to make sure that you're diversified. So these are things that come into the equation, particularly today, when you're evaluating that, how much do I want to own domestically in the U.S. versus internationally? And of course, it gets more you know, kind of complicated than that, you know, well, if you make that decision, well, what within those markets do you want to own? Do you want to own value stocks or growth stocks or small stocks or big stocks or sectors or what have you? But generally speaking, when you're looking at these asset allocation decisions of, you know, say, stocks or bonds, U.S. international, that's really going to explain the preponderance of the return that you're going to get over the coming period. Certainly, you want to have a good, prudent process, but you know you get to a point of diminishing returns over time. So, I guess what I would say to kind of sum it up here is, you know, you really want to pay attention and say, look, you know, U.S. market returns. I probably own a fair amount of them in my portfolio. They've done well. That's great. I'm happy about that. But is it really likely to go ahead and do a repeat ten years from now that international markets are going to do the same thing in relation to international markets? You know, might it be better to go ahead and make sure that I am, you know, more properly diversified, reducing the volatility, being able to facilitate, you know, kind of these higher compounded returns and facilitating better distribution planning for my retirement years and thinking a little bit more globally than just kind of in my own backyard, which we're all predisposed to do. It's just the way that our brain works. But you're going to think that way initially. My hope is then we're going to have a more rational conversation about really outside of that bias that we all have, what's the right decision going forward? It's just kind of another example, too, of not putting all of your eggs in one basket. That's one of my takeaways here, Kevin, is just making sure that you're not ignoring this opportunity that's out there to invest internationally and putting everything into the U.S. basket. It's a good idea to be diversified beyond just that one country, that one area to keep your funds. Yeah. I mean, if you are only in the U.S. going through the 2000s and if that were to repeat, then you know, literally you're going to lose money for an entire decade. I don't think we're there. I'm not saying that we are but it's possible. And if that happens in retirement, that could be ruinous. You know, if you're in your forties or fifties and you're still working and you're not paying close attention, like Paul probably wasn't over the last decade, then, you know, Hey, you can always work longer. Right. But you know, for most people, that's not necessarily a good strategy. We would just want to have an eyes wide open approach. We certainly want to pay attention to investing science. We want to go ahead and maintain proper diversification. And though imperfect, you know, there are ways to go ahead and estimate where, you know, future returns are likely to fall. And we want to favor those things that are likely to do better for us. Well, if you have questions about anything we've talked about today when it comes to investing internationally, if it's something you've done before and maybe don't understand why you've done it, I know that that's the case with a lot of people who, not just this particular example, but just in general, why do we get into certain investments? Always good to get clarity on that. But also if you just have kind of ignored the opportunity or never considered it, but you're kind of realizing that lack of diversification that's available to you and you want to talk it out with a member of the True Wealth Design team, you can certainly do that. 
All you have to do is go to truewealthdesign.com, click on the Are We Right For You button and schedule a 15-minute call with an experienced financial advisor on the True Wealth team, or you can give a call to 855-TWD-PLAN if you prefer that method. That's 855-TWD-PLAN. Kevin, thanks for all the help giving us these reasons to invest internationally. Great information today, and we'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Sounds good, Walter. And I'll, la- I'll leave it with one more concrete thing. If you look at your portfolio and you have less than 20% internationally, I would say, in my opinion, you probably have a portfolio problem. That, that breaks the entire uh, 30 minutes down into a pretty simple uh, takeaway. There you go. Thank you very much. That's Kevin Krosky. I'm Walter Storhold. Hope you enjoyed the show. We'll be back with another great topic next time around. So join us again back here on Retire Smarter. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed. All performance reference is historical and not an indication of future results. Benchmark indices are hypothetical and do not include any investment fees.